1: So it's tomato season and my tomatoes are coming in. Had a plate full of them sliced up with vinegar last night. So I'm pleased to welcome back to Digging in the Dirt, gardener, author, educator, podcaster, blogger, and frequent collaborator with Joe Lample of the Joe Gardner TV show, Craig LaHoullier. In addition, Craig wrote one of the great books on tomatoes. It's called Epic Tomatoes. Beautiful book to look at, great pictures, and it's a very good resource for all of us tomato geeks. Welcome back, Craig.
0: Oh, thanks so much, Kevin. You know, when you were mentioning Epic Tomatoes, it comes to me that I wrote most of that book, almost 10, nine or 10 years ago, and uh, how times have changed, because I have learned so much more. So I need story to say, Craig, it's time to update. But yeah.
1: Really, you got to do that because I think it's an incredible resource. It has a lot of great information about disease, tomato types, sure. and what not to do and what to do. It still holds up. I was looking at it last night in preparation <laughs> for this.
0: Well, thank you so much for that. And, but it is true that the garden, the garden is a great teacher. And those eight or nine years in between, it's taught me so much more. Uh, mostly, it's teaching me about how we have to react to our conditions. So there's, there's never a dull moment out there. And there's never a time where you don't have to put on the thinking cap to try to figure out what's going on. But that's what makes it the best hobby in the world, I think.
1: Oh, yeah. I love growing stuff and especially growing tomatoes. So what do you mean by the changing conditions? That's a loaded question.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, so we lived in Raleigh 28 years and, and we've lived here three years. So we moved into Raleigh 31 years ago. And It was reasonable to garden there. I could step out my garden or the driveway garden, and I wouldn't die after three or four um, hours of working in the heat and humidity. And then a a few years before we moved, I thought something's going on. And I went back and got weather data. And I realized the first few years we lived in Raleigh, we had three, four, five days of 90 degree or above. The two years um, leading up to where we moved out into Hendersonville we had 65 or 70 days at 90 or above. So that changes completely um, how you grow tomatoes, what your expectations are for your garden, the disease patterns, the critter patterns, the stress on the plant. And so my view is one of my new jobs I'm anointing myself with, along with all other garden educators that are really open-minded about what we're seeing, how do we garden now? How do we farm now? How do we succeed when we do get blasted with heat for two or three weeks at a time. And it's, you know, people I don't think think about that. You go out, you put seeds or plants in the ground, you grow them, everything's happy. But no, it it is really a weather teacher when we're out there gardening.
1: So answer your question, what, what do we do?
0: Oh, well, what we have to do, I think, is we have to understand that conditions of 90 degrees or above for days on end will affect the ability of the large fruited tomatoes. I know your favorite's Giant Belgium, and I love to grow Cherokee Purple and Mortgage Lifter. These are varieties whose fruit set, the ability of those flowers when they're open to allow the pollen to do its work, it's gonna be significantly impacted by those temperatures. And I'm getting lots of emails saying, my plants loaded with flowers, but I get two tomatoes it's blossomed up due to high heat. Even worse, people who are gardening where it's well over 100 for stretches, the pollen is actually being killed off and those flowers will never set fruit. So do we focus on smaller fruited tomatoes if the big ones don't start working out for us? I think we're gonna see more erection of greenhouses in the really super hot areas or growing under tunnels, putting up shade cloth, doing anything you can to create uh, lower temperature microclimates around your tomato plants, so that all that work that you do early in the yard, early in the year, doesn't end up disappointing you, where, you know, you, you have plates of tomatoes that you've treated, and I'm going to make a tomato dish tonight. That's fun. We want that to continue for all tomato lovers, right up until frost kills the plant. So that's what I'm trying to do, is figure out what those success factors are.
1: Cool. Yeah, i I was thinking about it because I was out there today. It's 96 here in the Northeast. Uh, this is a few wow. days. Yeah, it's 96 degrees here in Long Island. This show will probably air n- next Monday, but it'll probably still be hot then. They say it's going to go straight through the weekend. And I was thinking maybe I need shade cloth at some point if it keeps going like this. Uh, and so you brought it up, and you know that's something yeah. I'm going to look into because I have it netted. My whole garden is netted because right. I don't like to share with the pests, <laughs> the four legged <laughs> <laughs> pests.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Well, the other thing that people can do if you've got hot spells is get an electric toothbrush or just go flick the blossoms on your plant a couple of times a day. You want to do it gently so that you don't knock the flowers off. But just that act of vibrating the blossoms will help the pollen to vibrate from the anthers onto the pistil to help the flower pollinate. And I I have a lot of friends who have bought either what's called a veggie bee, which is just a little vibrating tool that plant breeders use to remove pollen from flowers. But electric toothbrush will work, uh, and you can get some really interesting looks from your neighbors if you're out in your driveway um, buzzing, your teeth. buzzing your tomato plants <laughs> in the morning. So, you know, it's always good to get that little conversation started. <laughs> That's and pretty they, funny. They're, they're in there, you know, showering, and they turn the shower off, and they hear, it. <laughs> they see me. But, you know, so I'm playing the B. What can I say?
1: Sure. So, I mean, I know you're a big container gardener. I Mine are in the ground. Right. And I have some in bags, you know, but I tend to kill them off sometimes because I'm not really good about watering. What's the advice about, you know, because I have everything yeah. on drip irrigation. So the hose goes, passes over the top, but it still dries out. Oh, so yeah. I, I don't do as well in the bags as you do.
0: No. and Well, so I've become... I've fallen totally in love with straw bale gardening with so I kind of major in straw bales and minor in containers. The reason being the house we moved into in Hendersonville, we're now in the western North Carolina mountains at 2,500 feet, where the septic system runs where our backyard is. So even though we have a nice flat backyard, I can't dig a garden into it. So it's either build raised beds and filling up raised beds with good quality potting mix can really run into a lot of money or just go get yourself some straw bales or fill up some containers. So I've been really working on perfecting the art of excelling with those two modes. And you're absolutely right. You planting in dirt will have plants that if it gets dry, those roots can go seek water deeper and deeper in. Those of us who now are relegated to growing in containers or straw bales, the plant is only going to find the water that the roots can reach within the confines of those boundaries. So right. we have to pay much greater attention. I am, an, I am a once a day water. And on hot days, I am a twice a day water. And that means I am a weekly feeder, because right. all of that watering will wash the nutrients away from the roots after the roots get it. So, oh, so
1: you feed every week, I feed every two.
0: Uh, In the ground, you can that is absolutely what I would recommend. In containers or straw bales, I would feed every week for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm getting great results from doing that, but Uh the heat builds pressure on the plant and stress. So people see more blossom end rot on their fruit when they're growing in containers and straw bales. And disease pressures become much greater because things like septoria leaf spot, early blight, fusarium wilt, those are fungi that are all around us. They're any tomato family plant weeds everything they have it, so you know, we're going through a period where we're going to be about eight or nine days in a row with thunderstorms at three in the afternoon. That means my leaves are wet Ugh. when it goes overnight. That means all of those disease spores are going to float out. So, the disease progression of my plants this year is the greatest I've seen in a long, long time. Um, so a lot of my plants are defoliated halfway up
1: because you, you cutting, keep cutting them off.
0: Well, you have to, because on the backside of all of those blemished leaves are the actual spores. And they'll just uh, bloom and float up and infect all of the other leaves above them on the plant. But it's a lot of work. I had 109 plants last year, which was a lot of work. This year, I'm down to 60 because my sanity returned a little bit. But we're still getting plenty of tomatoes. And I'll never stop growing them. But gardeners have to beware of getting discouraged if you have a bad season.
1: Well, um, folks, I have to tell you, if you want to see what he's talking about, he, you can see <laughs> pictures on his uh, site, go to craiglehuyer.com and see all these containers from years <laughs> after years after year. When I went, <sighs> I have to say that we, when a while back, after our first interview here on yeah. digging in the dirt, I came down to see him because I was going to a wedding in Chapel Hill. And I said, let's go visit Craig LaHoulier. And <laughs> you were a great host and we hit it off. And I'm so happy to have you back and consider you yeah. a, a good friend uh, here on on the internet so you know we went went to see his stuff and he's got containers everywhere and he's breeding stuff we're going to get to that in a minute Mm -hmm. but you know being down there in that beautiful area and it's so hot it's got to be very difficult to to grow tomatoes
0: yeah so the nice thing about uh, where we are now where the 95 or 100 in Raleigh translate to maybe 82 to 88 where I am now and so we've got the next three or four days are going to be quite hot. And in Hendersonville terms, that means 90 to 91 degrees. So it's doable. And it's less humid here. So when you in Raleigh, when you went into the shade, you were just in less bright blast furnaces. Whereas here, when you go into the shade, the temperature, the apparent temperature on your skin does drop 10 or 20 degrees. It's, it's just remarkable how cool it gets. And if you can find a shady corner of your yard. So, but what I'm finding, even though I've kept up with my plants, I'm taking the bad foliage off, I'm keeping them well watered, all of that rain, all of the uh, extra humidity that's just rolled in, is making my garden much more of a challenge this year. And of my 60 plants, I've already lost six to Fusarium wilt. It's a mystery because they're growing in straw bales, which start out sterile. So now I'm thinking it could have been in the seed coat of the seed that I planted. So... I guess the moral of this little discussion we're having is if you're a tomato enthusiast, there is no end to the mysteries in the garden, the information you want to dig dig for, because gardening is a great hobby for curious people, meaning you always want to find out the answer to things. And there right. Right. And there are more questions in a garden than you can possibly come up with. You know, hornworms sometimes will devour your plants. And a few years ago, I discovered that I read that someone found that putting a UV light at night on your plant you can spot the hornworms that's what They're, i heard too they, i haven't they, done it but oh it's great fun yeah, and again your neighbors think you're insane because you're out there they <laughs> they see this ghostly purple light moving through the plants bingo all of a sudden this bright green monster lights up and that's it it's yeah him.
1: yeah well, i get them now and then not too often here but uh, now and then
0: you know, you mentioned my website, and that's been a joy to increase my blogging on because Carolyn who who's from New York and was my great tomato friend for many, many years, she and I had done this newsletter off the vine, and then it just sat there, very few people subscribed to it, and a friend asked, are you going to republish it, and I thought, no, I'm going to do something better, I'm going to publish it article by article on my blog, until it's all done. And it will take a full year doing an article a week. But if anyone wants to go to the Wayback Machine and find out how Carolyn and I were gardening in the early 90s, um, the tag is off the vine. And it's on my website. Craig. Yeah, I knew,
1: saw it. It was very interesting.
0: Mind. And And I'm halfway done. And it's so fun to read back on number one, what a verbose and relatively poor writer I was but what a nut I was in all of these trying to squeeze all of these wild tomato varieties into my garden so I so. have
1: to tell you that my when my brother-in-law came up here and he I got a present for you he comes from Philadelphia and he says it, it, it's epic tomatoes <laughs> he says I he heard you on the Joe Gardner show so oh, I love the book and you know you should have him as a guest and I said sorry to disappoint you but you should listen to my show a little more often because he's already been a guest and I already have the book so now I have two of your Books. Well, here's <laughs> you
0: scratch out the name. And it's a great regift, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I can crazy. send you a plate. You can cover it up. Put put your own name on it and send he
1: it. He said, to "I you don't know. mind having two of them." He gave me a hardcover. I had a soft cover. <laughs>
0: oh, you know, every people will ask for hardcovers, and they they are dear. They cost a lot more. And Story sure sends me the boxes of the soft covers to send out when people request it. But I think I've had about five of the hardcovers in my hand in the last five years, and I do have one to keep because, uh, you know, the, the soft cover bindings do break. And I, I tend to bring it out. You bring it into the garden. They get dog-eared and all that. But well, sorry. folks,
1: I got to tell you, this book is beautiful. It's beautiful artwork, beautiful sketches, like, you know, drawings. And there's also just amazing pictures of tomatoes. And you'll you learn a ton of stuff about tomatoes. I certainly did. And I, I want to mention the fact that you have another book that you mentioned, Straw Bale uh, mm. Gardening, and you have a book about it.
0: Yeah, Growing vegetables and straw bales. Um, after Epic Tomatoes came out, my editor asked if I would like to write a book on straw bales. And I said, well, I would love to. However, I need to convince myself it's a subject worthy of writing about. So I tested it out uh, extensively for two years, fell in love with it. And it's it's a little paperback. It's more of a guide, handwritten pictures. But it's it. what I wanted to do is go above and beyond where the existing books were, which made it sound like Straw bale gardening is the best thing since sliced bread. It never goes wrong. I wanted to write an honest book about it, talking about some of the limitations, some of the things you have to watch out for. That's one of the problems I have as a gardener. I can't lie. I can't um, mislead people. Um, you know, when they when they sit with me on my Instagram lives every Thursday, I show my disease plants. I talk about my disasters. Sometimes I appear a little bit depressed, but I've heard is in feedback that makes people feel good because. There is no such thing as a garden expert. There is no such thing. Everybody does mistakes. Everybody. Well, you make different mistakes. If you make the same mistake every year, then Einstein has a quote about that. But if you make different mistakes every year, that's perfectly fine. And uh, I'm, I've been a gardener for 40 years, Kevin, and I'm still making lots of mistakes.
1: So, you know, what I, I want to ask you about, since we're right. talking about all this different stuff is uh, the garden misinformation that you, you just mentioned, <laughs> you know, that I know it's a pet peeve of yours in this TikTok and Instagram age. So, you know, there are many popular blogs and, you know, TikToks, you know, 40 seconds of, you know, what to do about this or that. And, and some of it's not really that good, is it?
0: No, and this is where my age shows. So being 66, I've never bought into self-promotion particularly. I have no ads on my website. I'll really never sell a product. And so I want to tell the truth about things, but I have to also realize that I need to leave room for people who are making a career out of this stuff. So there, that's my little forgiveness thing. But there is a lot of absolutely bad information. And, and one of the ones that I saw a few weeks ago, somebody showed this beautiful, healthy pepper plant this is a real, I guess. It's one of those little movies. And these scissors came out and cut off the top four inches of the pepper plant. And they're like, bingo, great garden advice. This will make a bushier plant. And I went back on in Instagram and I said, Worst advice ever, you have just delayed the harvest of your plant by two weeks, and it's going to bush out anyway. Nature designed the pepper plant perfectly to do just what it's doing, but people are looking for a way to get attention, and so they're coming up with things that they think are the are greatest little tip in the world, but they're actually not so good. When I saw defoliate all of your plants so that the sunlight can get to your fruit, well, <laughs> you'll get sunscald all over your tomatoes. Withhold water from your plants so that you intensify a flavor, not if you're growing in containers and straw bales, because every tomato will have blossom end rot, and then they'll taste like crap. So They like water they need, well, a tomato is 92% water. And know know you know, lettuce is 95% water or 96%. So people have to be really careful looking at things on Facebook. Well, I don't anymore because I left Twitter and Facebook, I think, two years ago. Instagram is really the only place I hang out because I can show pictures and I can go live and share things. But people have to be careful of the advice. And I would say, check. If you, if you hear something that's too good to be true, it probably is. And I would check sources and always look for something that's tied into an extension service or an ag department and a university to really test it out. Um, You know, people say, if I spray my tomatoes with X, Y, and Z, they'll never get disease. And I'll think, well, if that were true, then wouldn't you think all the farmers in the world would do it because they're they're losing a fortune in their crops on tomato diseases every year. So just, just beware, have fun, enjoy the reels, enjoy the pictures you'll never really see a reel or a video or something with music with me because I don't do cutesy.
1: <laughs> and, if you, <laughs> and, and if you really want some good advice, really take care of the soil. I mean, what you put into oh, yeah. the soil is really the important part of it. So you really have to keep making that better and better, especially if you're in the same place like me, the same ten-five-ten spot every year. And, so. you know,
0: Kevin, you, you make a really good point because the soil is part of the earth and we as a species Are really taking very, very poor care of this uh, big spaceship they were riding every day. And the soil is part of that. Um, I'm a little bit in a different situation because I'm in straw bales and uh, grow bags. So I'm not building up soil. However, those spent straw bales are exactly what I use to put into my containers the following year and to, and to mulch cool. my garden with. Yeah. So I don't, I actually spray nothing on my plants. I hand pick the bugs, I pick off the foliage if it's disease. But um, yeah, the, the reason is these antifungal sprays and these magic sprays, you have to cover every surface of every leaf. And if there's already disease spores on the leaf, the spray won't help anyway. And every time it rains, you have to respray. So I uh what do I call myself? I'm not much of an interventionalist garden. I like to let nature do what it was intended. 95% of the time, she does a great job. I'm I'm there to help to pull off foliage when things go out of whack. Um, I, you know, I don't remove aphids. I let the, the ladybirds come in, the ladybugs in and, and eat them. And just, uh, and it was Jessica Walliser who's a really good gardener and garden writer that I saw speak once. She. She was a real strong opponent that if you start spraying your plants with things, you may kill the bug, but you're also killing the predator that is coming in behind to eat that bug. So you're, you're actually doing more harm than good. So I'd rather, I'd rather wait and see how this wonderful system that we've been born with uh, all around us, how things grow, how it takes care of itself. And only if things get really crazy will I will I intervene and
1: do something. Well, we differ a little on the aphids. I I use a little marigold spray, very mild, and it's uh and it, and I use it early when the plant is young. And once right. I do it once, it never they never come back. So once yep. the plant is established, the aphids are history. So far, as far. Uh, you know,
0: I find the same on flea beetles. We we are big eggplant lovers, and flea beetles will decimate eggplants early in the year. And this is where I break one of my cardinal rules. I will get seven and dilute it way down till it's about a tenth strength and hit the eggplant seedlings when they're only yeah. about three inches tall once. That seems to eliminate yeah, the that's flea you beetle have to do. problem. And then they thrive and they get big. And you know, a flea beetle is not going to do much damage to a two foot tall eggplant seedling. They, they, so it's all so there is some flexibility and you know, gardeners have to develop that flexible nature to succeed. So you can make a list, you can make a plan And then within a week of the season, you may have to just toss the plant out the window. I'd rather read read the plants, read the weather, read the conditions, and just do what needs to be done at the time. And that makes every day a little bit of an adventure in the garden. It makes you leap out of bed because you know that... um, something unexpected may be happening and you have the fun of figuring it out it's kind of like wordle gardens like wordle only you get to play it every day yeah. and there's a lot more, you're you know, a wordle a lot more fan too. Uh, what can I say hey, <laughs> so you know I, I
1: totally agree with you on this uh, you know I mean gardening is sort of intuitive right you go out you see how healthy the plants are you, right. you learn things from being with your plants I like going out in the morning and yeah. you know you know t- 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 tying things up or maybe yeah. harvesting some tomatoes but you and you maybe you're find the greenhorn worm or whatever but that's that's how it works and then you go you know what I was doing there wasn't working so well maybe I should just you know back off a little bit or maybe less water or maybe more water you know it's an intuitive thing and it's a nice place to be in these tough times
0: it is and um, so already I'm halfway through my gardening season I probably get another month of tomatoes to pick maybe a month and a half and already I'm making lists Um, what am I going to do differently next year what did I kind of screw up this year what What did I not anticipate um, enough? Because every garden is different for me. It's never the same set of tomatoes, the the same number of tomatoes planted in the same way. Um, You know, a lot of people ask me about Epsom salts. And when when people ask me questions like that, should I spray my plants with powdered milk or use? I I ask them to do an experiment for me. Um, You know, take a Cherokee purple and another Cherokee purple planted really close together and treat one with what you want to treat it with and don't treat the other one just normal. And then just carefully observe throughout the season. Yeah, this is cit- this, it's citizen science. It's doing a controlled study. And so in a way, if, if anything that I've accomplished over my years of answering emails, and doing Instagrams is to encourage people to be thinking gardeners, to um, be present, then it's mission accomplished. I feel like uh, they will then take those same lessons on and pass them on to their kids or their family or their relatives. Sure. So we're we're building this nice network of gardening at the moment, being present in the garden and, and learning, letting the plants teach us.
1: And it's such a great, peaceful place to be. It's like a place where I can be meditative, you know, and and I like it and, and I like what I get out of it. So... <laughs>
0: You know, gardening has has increased my skill in identifying bird songs because the soundtrack of gardening, um, if it's not the string trimmers or the neighbor's lawnmower, if everything gets nice and quiet, then it is birds. And gosh, then what I'll do is I'll take my uh, phone and record a little video where I'm capturing the sound. Then I'll go in and use Birdnet. I'll play it for my wife's phone; she has the app. And then I'll go, oh. Well, I just saw my—I just heard my first yellow-throated warbler or house wren, or—and you can do a lot of good thinking out there. You can think of the craziness that's around us, and think—think think of how fortunate you are to be growing great food that's going to make you healthy in a way that's going to make you healthy. And, I, you know, I have this saying that I've used the last few years that I think gardeners are going to have to save the world.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think they're the ones a little bit ahead of the curve. You know, that, that brings us to what I want to talk about. Yeah. Here, because we have a similar worldview. We're concerned about the vitriol of our politics and right. the degradation of our planet. We both believe that the planet is in trouble, that it really yeah. is deteriorating. I mean, look outside the heat now. Everybody is knowing that There's a truth to this, and we've been talking about it a long time, but now things are changing. And I think you're going to see, like, with this prolonged mega drought out west, and it'll have a decline uh, on the corporate industrial farming. And maybe I'm a little crazy, but I think we're about to see some changes that will push farming to regional and local and backyard growers. You're going to need to supplement your food at least. or become aligned with a local farmer to have some of the foods you're going to need because they just don't have any water out west to do this. Are you getting a sense like that too?
0: I I am. um, And so I, I try to think about what could be going wrong. And I do think social networking in general has a part to play in this because it allows incorrect information to be incredibly amplified. So what's going on in the world right now we're also very good at a species of rationalizing and pushing things off to the future. And I think we've become a little bit lazy about our inability to tackle big things. And you mentioned the vitriolic politics. If if you, we have two sides that can never agree on anything, that means nothing is ever going to get done. And you know this is all well and good. Some people feel different ways about that, but we have this thing called the earth that Doesn't do social networking and it's not part of a political party and it really doesn't care uh, how I liken it. You know, COVID made me think a lot about what's going on with the climate. And if COVID is this little evolving virus that gets into us and tries to do us in, we are the little virus that is trying to do the earth in. And so people will say, I worry about the world. I'm like, oh no, the world would be fine we're the ones, we're the ones that the temperature is exactly. being risen or not because what happens in our body when we get an infection, our body raises its temperature to kill off the infection, right? So um the earth right now is raising its temperature.
1: His mother nature is not happy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, and th- it does not have to be that way. You know, this, this whole way of narcissistic thinking it's about me. That is a huge contributor to it as well. And we're going to have kids and grandkids he- and they're going to have kids I would like them to have hope and a hopeful future and a beautiful world and fish to eat out of the ocean and, and birds to hear singing and pollinators for their garden. I'm really worried about the butterflies right now. We have lots of flowers in our garden. We have echinacea. Yeah, so and
1: we? yeah. And mm-hmm. we
0: have hardly, uh, we've got hummingbirds, we've got a good supply of honeybees, but we've got practically no butterflies. And usually we are teeming with them by this time of the year. So there are indicators out there some may be just, you know, little temporary trends. The thing to keep the eye out for, like when I did my temperature study, when we moved here, what was the temperature like over those 28 years we lived in Raleigh? Wow. It is just, I could plot it. The temperature was just going up. And, uh, yeah. And the pollinators don't like it. Oh, the pollinators hate it. It upsets their, how they, you know, how they mate. Uh, when they hatch what the food is out there for them
1: but the good thing is that you can in your own individual way without permission without joining a club or anything you can plant things that pollinators like and start turning your garden around my like my brother who's not a big gardener thing but he went out to buy plants and said dan buy pollinator plants and he is now the happiest guy (laughs) people come by they go what's with your garden he goes it's a pollinator garden you know he's really proud of it and he should be because he really made an individual effort to change his own little piece of the land, which helps the whole planet. You know, it helps the town, it helps the planet. So he, he got it, you know, and we need more people to get it like that, I think.
0: Well, thing, things that seem too big and can overwhelm you, really, those things can only be changed one step at a time. And so what he's doing is exactly right. What you're doing, what we're doing here. Uh, in my little neighborhood, we live in a dead end street, six houses on it, very, very rural. But we've got four homes around us that are all growing straw bale gardens now. They're all growing their own food because they said, Who is this new person who just moved in that's got all these all this Halloween decorations sitting in his yard? What's he, what's he doing oh, with those? Scarecrows. <laughs> right, right. So you have them over and you explain to them there was, you know, so Hendersonville has been around a long time, and you get people who have been here and don't want newcomers to move in because they're afraid that their lifestyle is going to be overtaken, and it does happen. Um, so the, the gentleman who lived in back of us, who sadly has since passed on, would come to the back fence, and a week after we moved in, he interviewed me for an hour. He had chickens. Uh, I got chickens. You're going to complain about the way the chickens smell? Are you going to... <laughs> What he wanted, he wanted to maintain his lifestyle that he loved, and I had to convince him Sue and I were gardeners. My wife's a quilter. I grow things. We're going to enjoy the yard. We'll be out all the time. It turns out he ended up getting both of my books, and he ended up. I converted him from a traditional awesome. gardener to a straw bale gardener, and awesome. he had the best results. Uh, and and that—that's kind of like. He chicken chuck. poop. <laughs> oh man, boy, could he grow stuff? And you know, and so that's where we get our eggs from. And but that, you know, we don't know what his politics is, and he doesn't know what his what ours is. But we've built community. Keep by, it that way. By, yeah, but well, by by finding a common passion, right? And you yes. can kind of build it around that. I actually think that's the only way things are going to get solved. Is You're a human slow. being.
1: You're a neighbor, you know, you have that's similar exactly right. similar fears and similar wants. Yeah. And you and you both enjoy that. I have neighbors that I consider conservative in my neighborhood, and we on a we're on a different plane with as, as far as I'm giving them, you know, seedlings, yep. and I'm you know, yep. say here, grow this and try this, and they love it. And and I think it's the way you're right to to interact with your neighbors because you need your neighbors, especially if the proverbial is going to hit the fan.
0: <laughs> the proverbial may indeed hit the fan, and we do need our neighbors. And uh, you know, we were lucky. One of our one of my seedling customer friends from Raleigh moved to Hendersonville and she's, she's on the next street. So, you know, the darndest thing happens, things happen sometime. Um, I don't know if there's any coincidences, but I tend to believe in fate. I think we take on the hobbies we're supposed to, we meet the people we're supposed to like you and I, this, this friendship grew because it was supposed to happen. And, uh, I have an easier time understanding of the world if i just i'm I'm always thinking that i'm supposed to i'm doing the things that i'm supposed to be doing at the moment so just go go with it
1: before i let you go i want to hear about you become an amateur tomato breeder yeah so i want to hear a little bit about that because that's really interests me so you're a co-leader of a dwarf tomato breeding project tell me tell me about that
0: yeah well so i've been doing breeding in a couple of different ways but as for the dwarf project um the whole reason that that came about was to provide space challenge gardeners with more interesting options. There really weren't a whole lot at the time. Determinant varieties don't taste all that great. When you think of Roma, eh, make sauce out of it. So my friend Patrina and I, she's from Australia, we met over Garden Web and we just threw a project together where she would cross the very few, some of the very few known dwarf varieties that were pretty uninteresting to grow with some of the, the best heirlooms. And we just asked who wants to play along with us. And over the intervening years, that was 2006 we started, it's 2022, we've now involved over a thousand people from all over the world. Nobody gets paid a cent, but we discover things and we stabilize them out to the seventh or eighth generation. And then we find a seed company that is interested in selling a variety, a new variety. And Victory Seeds out in Oregon, Mike who owns a company was captivated by this, and he offers all 145 of our dwarfs. And I think of them as indeterminate type varieties, you know, your giant Belgium or my Cherokee purple, but they only grow at half the vertical rate. So if you end up with an eight foot giant Belgium, a corresponding dwarf version of that would only be four feet tall. So they're perfect for the useless tomato cage, they're perfect for five gallon containers. And it's, it's just been gratifying. We're still working on it. It's, it's slowed down quite a bit because um, even though I still have the passion, people burn out over time with things. And it's just been a great success, Kevin.
1: And what, and what is the output on a dwarf? Is it about the same or less?
0: It can be about the same if it's happy because you don't uh, prune any of the suckers off and it fruits gradually throughout the season, just like indeterminants do. I've had up to 25 or 30 pounds off of a plant. Nice. Um, the more root space you give it, the better it yields. And the other really funny little amateur breeding thing that I did just out of curiosity, let's say you have two favorite heirlooms. If you make a hybrid out of those two heirlooms, will the hybrid be better than the two parents? So I took some of my favorites. I crossed Cherokee purple with Lillian's yellow heirloom, two of my favorite tomatoes. And last year I grew the hybrid and it was one of the best tomatoes I've ever eaten in my entire life. Really? And I saved seeds from that. And now people are playing around to see how the genes recombine in the second generation. You could have, you know, that was a purple crossed with a yellow that gave a pink. And the next generation, we could see purple and brown, red and pink, yellow and orange and white. They should all be big, they should all taste pretty good. But it's just a way to involve people in doing something that they can put their own personal stamp on and it, it can send them down the road of creating their own tomato variety. So this is the, this is my dabbling. In the cart.
1: I'm going to my... have to do this, I think, but so, so then yeah. tell me briefly, yeah. I mean, briefly, <laughs> yeah. um, how do you, how do you cross tomatoes? Right,
0: easy. You use your electric toothbrush and go up to uh, the parent variety that you want to donate the pollen and you just vibrate the flower in the morning uh, when it's not too humid and you get your spoon fills with pollen you go up to a plant you want to have be the pollen receptor and you use tweezers go for a flower that's not quite fully open and you carefully just yank off the yellow parts those are the anthers and then you see just the pistil in the middle sticking out so the bees aren't going to be interested in crossing anything else onto that okay. then you just dip the pistol into the spoon do that about three days in a row. Mark it with a twisty tie, and if a tomato develops, there's a good chance you then have a hybrid. I like to use a potato leaf female and a regular leaf male because that way, if that tomato develops and you plant it out, if the seedlings are regular leaf, that's the dominant trait, and you know that your cross took, and you're on your way. You can then start playing with it. So, I can send you more information on that. We can always do
1: that's great. I'm going to try is it. So
0: much, it. is so much fun. But you know, giant Belgium is huge, so you could cross giant Belgium to Mortgage Lifter. Would it be like a car bomb <laughs> tomato? I mean, the, the mind can't hold such thoughts. So anyway,
1: that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like those big slicers and I know. And, and tasty ones too. And tasty yes. Ones. Yes. We've been speaking with Craig LaHoullier. You can find him at craiglahoullier.com. He has a book called Epic Tomatoes and-
0: Growing Vegetables and Straw Bales.
1: Okay, so there you go. And it's been great, Craig. Um, before I let you go, w- w- any last thoughts for us? A uh, philosophy of life and gardening, or <laughs> you know, are you positive about the future? I mean, I mean, that's I- a loaded question.
0: <laughs> I- I'm positive about your future and I'm positive about my future and the futures of my two daughters, because we talk a lot about what to do and how to live and stuff so that's a start and we'll take it from there the only other thing i'd say is we need hope and the last thing is uh, on instagram i am at at tomato man and i do sit in my driveway live every thursday and for 45 minutes i take people on a tour of my garden and then answer any questions that people have and I've done them for three years now and they're all visible on my Instagram profile under the video clip so you get to see these one week snapshots of setting up the straw bales and planting the plants and then all of a sudden tomorrow's I'm going to be cutting tomatoes and tasting them so we usually get about 40 people while I'm doing it and then maybe up to a thousand watch it after the fact. So it's a oh, way cool. for me to kind of cool. teach and share and bring people into my life. Very I've nice. got dog, dogs running around the yard. I'm sweaty. I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm messy gardening, Craig. So that's no, what you, people are going to get. smell anything on
1: Instagram yet. <laughs>
0: no, not yet. Thank goodness. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, tell I, them where that is again.
0: At NC tomato, man. You just, uh, you can just follow me there, and then when I go live, you would get a notification, and then you can just click in and take a look.
1: Excellent. Well, Craig Lahouya, thank you so much for joining me here on Digging in the Dirt. It's my pleasure. I really
0: love talking with you. Kevin, my friend, this made my day. Uh, let's do it again sometime, and let's stay in touch. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, care. everybody. Bye-bye. In digging in the dirt. Digging in the dirt. You've been
1: listening to Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher. To hear past programs anytime you want, visit the podcast section of WPKN.org.